Hi, this is Women in Justice, and my name is Dr. Shantae James. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to a successful author and publisher. She has over 10 books in various genres. Hopefully today, we'll have the opportunity to talk about her various projects, being mindful to talk about her publishing organization, T-Dub, which started in 2010. What is different about this publishing company is that it aspires to mentor and coach other authors who desire to self-publish. Let me just mention to everyone, this is how you maintain your rights to your words. So often people want to take your money. This is not the objective of this organization or of Terry. So it's no surprise to learn that Terry takes the time to educate and give the person the hard truths. These are the aspects you want in a publisher. It's with great pleasure I now turn the podium over to Terry. Terry, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, my name is Terry Martinez, and I have a publishing company which is called T-Dub, T-D-U-B Publishing. And if you don't mind, the reason for the name T-Dub, my last name, (laughs) my last name used to be Washington for many, 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 many years. And most people at my job where I worked for 30 years called me T-Dub. I was Terry Washington, so T-W-T-Dub. So when I created the publishing company in 2010, I went with T-Dub because that's what most of the people I was around on a daily basis referred to me as. So that's how I got the name. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's always surprising to me how people get their names or really their nicknames. All right. So let me step you back a little bit. Tell me how your publishing company got started. So in 2010, 2010, I wrote my first book. It's called Yesterday's Lies. And I needed, well, I thought at the time, the direction I was given when I did my research in the industry was that I needed, you know, if I was going to self-publish, I should create a publishing company to do that so I could retain all the rights and everything like that. So I created the company, you know, I have an EIN number and all that kind of stuff. I did all the legal stuff to create the publishing company. But at the time, my mindset was I'm just doing this to get my book published. That was one book. (laughs) So um, and I really just used it for my own purposes from 2010 up until 2020. So it was just, you know, for me to and I um, published seven books. Um, I have published seven books, novels under T-Dub Publishing. And then 2020 is really when I became, quote unquote, a publisher. My first author that I published, uh, Julie Bellatrex, actually the book that I was going to talk a little bit about today was a collaboration between myself and Julie. And that was the first time anyone had approached me to publish them. Um, She actually is someone that I worked with for many years um, at what's now called Aetna. And um, so I said, sure, we can work together. And we we wrote a book called Love, Lies and Fight. And um, I really for the purposes of this conversation, I thought it was the best book of mine to focus on um, based upon, you know, some of the questions you sent me and the topics covered in the book. 
Okay, so let's jump into that conversation then. Um, tell me a little bit more about the book. Uh, don't want to okay. give the too, away too much. Um, That's okay. But just give me just a little um, bit to wet everyone's whistle. Sure. So really, there are two main characters. Joy is a therapist. And one of her, she has many clients, but one of the key clients in the book, her name is Valerie. And Valerie had um, a very traumatic a series of traumatic experiences that happened to her. And it just so happens that she found her way to joy. And through both of them working together, both women were able to kind of heal some things and come out, uh, I'll say, on the other side of their traumas, because joy had some trauma as well. And I don't know if you're aware or have ever heard this, but you know, a lot of therapists became therapists because of something that happened to them in their lives and they want to help other people. Yes. So the joy fits that mold to a T. Um, you know, she had some things that happened to her as a, a teenager and as a young adult that she just, her passion became helping people and specifically women to make sure that they were heard. Um, that's kind of Joy's thing, making sure that people are heard and making sure that people are aware that, um, you know, there seems to be this stigma around mental health, um, especially in the Black community. And Joy really tries to debunk all of that and let people know that, you know, you don't have to be quote unquote crazy to, to seek therapy. Um, sometimes you just need to talk things out to kind of get past things that are happening in your life. So between, <clears throat> you know, obviously Valerie being the client, she was seeking help, but it just, they formed this bond or this relationship. And I'll mind you, they never really met in person. This is kind of during the pandemic when things were more virtual. Okay. So they were emailing, they were video chatting or talking on the phone. So it the bond that they kind of created and some of the lessons that Valerie needed to learn were also things that Joy needed to resolve. So it kind of forced her to deal with her own issues by helping this client. So how did you get to, because I love the fact that you put in the dynamics of COVID, especially coming off of COVID. Um, mm -hmm. What brought you to um, pick this genre and then also to provide a platform for people to discuss, especially in the Black community, this topic? So um, I think a couple of things. One is, I should have mentioned, Joy actually is a character that was in my first three-part series. She was a teenager and we don't get the full benefit of knowing what happened to her because the, the series ends before we get into really some of the nitty gritty of things that she went through. But Joy appears, you know, 30 plus years later as a character or as a main character in this book. And I really chose her because I felt Again, following that theme of therapists usually have something that they're dealing with, um, I thought it would be good to kind of bring her back to my readers and really kind of let them see how she grew up or how she got to where she was. And then as far as the whole theme of COVID and the theme or the topic of um, African-Americans not really 
being a, a group that traditionally um, seeks mental health services, it was all during COVID, you know, this during 2020, you know, a lot of us were home, stuck at home or whatever. And I was approached by several different, my church being one, uh, my high school alma mater being another one. I was doing uh, writing workshops or journaling workshops for people, specifically youth, because they were stuck in a house, they were missing their senior proms, they were missing their graduations, and a lot of the youth were really struggling with that. So the, the dynamic that I became immediately aware of is the part where my church contacted me, but in the church, in, in the Black churches specifically, you're told to pray about it. We're not supposed to talk about what happens inside of our house. You know, if you're a church going family, you're supposed to take it to God and you're supposed to take it to church and pray about it. And that's going to solve all your problems. So when my church approached me, it was almost like they were admitting they were kind of out of their zone or out of their expertise at this point. And I think it, it was more a collaboration because there were so many people struggling. You know, they just they didn't know what to do with all their parishioners. Or, you know, what do we do? They're all struggling. So we kind of came together. Like I said, I did some um, workshops on journaling and I just did some other workshops via Zoom on, you know, things that the parents can do to de-stress, things that the children could do. We tried to kind of hit it from all angles. Well, that brings me to a couple of questions within this arena mm -hmm. that we're talking about as we kind of divert just a little bit off of the book is um, what did you notice change wise in the population when doing these workshops? And I know because you won't mention this, that you do have some books that specifically mm -hmm. are geared to, towards journaling. What steps mm -hmm. do you offer in those books? Well, what we talk about is, I mean, just kind of the concept of what it is to journal. Um, and really letting people know it, there's not necessarily a formula other than putting pen to paper or, you know, some people prefer to do it online. But it's really just about letting yourself go and expressing yourself. But then I do provide um, some guidelines for I, I do provide some prompts that they kind of get them started. You know, no, everyone's not a natural born writer. Everyone's not necessarily in touch with their feelings enough to just sit down and start writing how they feel. So I do take um, in my workshops, I, I take us through some exercises, you know, things like think about um, your wants versus needs. And then I go through an exercise of giving them examples of, you know, I may want, um, I need a car, but I may want a Mercedes Benz, but I don't need a <laughs> Mercedes Benz. I think we all Benz. want that. <laughs> right. So just kind of taking them through this, you know, exercise of prioritizing values and thinking about, you know, what is really important to you and bringing it all together. Um, part of my focus around journaling for self-care and all that kind of stuff is looking at things from a holistic perspective. You know, you're health, your physical health, your mental health, your financial well-being, like tying it all together. Now, when I'm dealing with youth, I'm talking about a little, you know, they don't necessarily have the financial piece if they're, you know, still with mommy and daddy. But, sure. you know, just kind of having them look at their whole life and really thinking about how if, you know, it's a circle, there's a what's it called? The healthy living wheel that I refer to. And it's like, if that circle is just like a tire on your car, if it gets warped or out of balance, then, you know, 
you're not functioning as um, effectively as you should. So I try to bring all those pieces together. And putting it in the context of this podcast, how do you Mm -hmm. see women's needs being different than their counterparts, specifically in your realm? Oh, my goodness. Um, Our needs, I think, are are different from the perspective of, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, in the book, Valerie really struggled with feeling heard. You know, one of the things, you know, women have the stereotype of being emotional. Um, So if we express ourselves, we're being emotional or we're being irrational. If we push back, we're being aggressive. So we have, you know, we have these guardrails that, or these, you know, parameters that we have to kind of move in to feel that we're going to be accepted or to feel like we're going to be heard. And again, that was right up Joy's alley because Joy, you know, again, she went through a traumatic experience and during her experience, she didn't feel that the therapist or counselors at her school really heard her and understood her concerns or what her issues were. So I think that, um, you know, we have that to deal with as women. And even though, you know, women are much more integrated into the workforce and, you know, we hold high positions and we do all this, I still think at the core of it, sometimes we don't feel that we're really being heard um, by our our colleagues or, you know, our, our male counterparts, especially. So as, cause I always try to give us some positive steps. So in yes. being heard, um, mm-hmm. It sounds like you're providing us with various books, um, the journaling mm-hmm. guides, um, this book that you're, you co-wrote. Um, mm-hmm. What do you see as the first few steps beyond what you're providing us? I think, well, the one thing that I will say is one of the things that I always tell people is, you know, you have two ears and one mouth. So you have to listen more than you talk. And that's something that, you know, again, traditionally, stereotypically, women talk a lot. Men don't talk as much as women. But the interesting part is, even though they're not talking, they're not really listening either. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a whole nother conversation. So for women, you know, what I try to say is, you know, in order for you to be, quote unquote, heard, you have to make sure that the message is clear. You know, sometimes we we start off with a whole bunch of, you know, we want to give the whole background story and maybe they don't need all that information, like cutting to the chase. What is the issue? What are you trying to communicate and why is it important? So I really try to tell people, think about the message. Why do you feel they need to hear it? And if you know them, you're like when you're dealing with coworkers or other people, you kind of get a sense of what things they pay attention to. So sometimes we think it's just about you delivering the message, how you feel, but you have to think about the receiver of that message and how they may receive the message. Okay. So let me flip it to you. Cause I know that I go through the, this phase, I would argue um, with several of my students in the sense of, I'm a very much the person to say, okay, so what's the bottom line here? And right. I know mm-hmm. I get to, um, for some people, they'll be like, well, I, you need the backstory. So how do you shift them to reframe, as you're suggesting, delivery? So some people are just 
inherently the one they want to be the storyteller they want to tell you everything so what i will tell people to do is kind of like when you're writing when you're writing you don't have to say everything that was happening you know or i mean you can but then you've got five pages of the environment and where's the story so what you can do is you talk about let's let's say you have five points that you're trying to get across. So you start with point one. If there's something that you wanna make sure people catch with point one, then you weave into, okay, what is it that, that you want them to know about that? But then you go on to point two. Maybe there isn't anything else that they need to know about that. So it's a matter of, again, what is the message? What information do they absolutely need in order to catch the message? And, and trying to you know narrow that down um, into what the receiver needs to hear. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Okay. But I know the back end, and I can only speak for myself, is until I start to train the person that it's not a reflection for me saying, hey, what's the bottom line? I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. Um, because so, sometimes you only have that time. I'm like, look, you only got a minute. So if you're taking- So one of the... <laughs> You know, an exercise that a professor did with me because I was notoriously wordy okay. back in the day. So one of the things we did is, you know, starting off with either, well, we did the exercise with number of words. Okay, so tell me a story. You know, I want you to write a story about XYZ topic. So I write the story, it's 5,000 words. And then my professor's like, okay, now I need you to put this down to 2,500. Now I need you to put this down to and still have me end up with the same understanding of what you were trying to say. So it was an exercise in me learning how to, you know, condense things. And, and you know, this was some one on one work because I was very wordy and I felt like I had to explain everything. You know, the leaf was orange and green and yellow and it, the stem <laughs> curled up to the right. Like, why do they need to know that? Sure. You know, this isn't a movie. You know, if it was a if it was if it was visual, because I'm a very visual person. So I automatically assume that everyone else needs to see what I'm seeing when I write. But everyone doesn't need to see all of that, especially, you know, in a, in a written book. You know, you can describe some things. There were leaves. Maybe they rustled about, you know, maybe when I stepped on them, you heard the crunching sound. But you don't need to know the colors of all the leaves and that the stems were turned this way and all, all that stuff. So it's just a matter of you know, working with the professor and really getting me down to tell that same story in this number of words. So it sounds like with us discussing about working with individuals, this leads me into you publishing different people. So how has that process been for you? Because you've got quite a few. I know you are not going to say it, but she has quite a few people <laughs> that she's published and she's working on some projects that are coming for yes. currently. So, so I'm going to give her space to talk about that. <laughs> It, it actually, I, I kind of went into it kicking and screaming because I felt, you know, as a writer, I, I want to write what I want to write. So when I did this collaboration project with this other person who had never written anything, I found myself just being frustrated a lot. But at the when we worked through it and it took us over a year to finally get to the end, I, I felt like, Okay, I, I could do this. And I learned some things along the way. So it has become a wonderful experience for me because I love helping people in all aspects of my life. No matter what topic we talk about, I'm going to talk about how to help people in that you know, particular area. So helping um, authors 
to become published authors, helping them to understand the process, teaching them more about the industry. What, and sometimes I learn from them. You know, I learned some things, you know, from you <laughs> when we met um, the other day. So I'm always in a constant process of learning, teaching, helping um, people. You know, I'm learning from them. You know, they're learning from me. I'm trying to help them and teach them in whatever way they want to go. I have a, a challenge right now. Um, one of the projects I'm working on, I'm sometimes it's, if you have staff, you know, the hardest employee to manage is the one that doesn't receive feedback well. Yes. Um, so I'm dealing with that situation right now with one of my authors that I'm working on a project for. So I'm trying to give advice based upon, you know, how long I've been in the industry and all that kind of stuff. And um, she's young, so she's not really uh, very open to my suggestions, but, you know. So let me ask you this question. How do you get to the helping aspect? Because when I met you, I was quite surprised because I know, especially within this interest industry, it's kind of mm -hmm. cutthroat. Um, and I don't want to say is. kind of. It is cutthroat. It's very um, cutthroat. For survival and, and then also mm -hmm. this sense of you want your book to be at the top. So why help so many people? That's a flip. I, <laughs> I think because... Uh, it's just who I am, but I will say that I did have it, it. Those are needles in the haystack for sure to find people in the industry that are willing to help you without breaking your bank account. Um, they genuinely want to be a help to people. And I don't know if it's just something about my personality or if they're just helping everybody. But, you know, because of some of the experiences I had, along the way like i remember my first book um there is a uh can you a well -known... give us the name i don't want to interrupt you but you're not saying the name of the book tell us the name of the oh book. my first book was <laughs> yesterday's lies my to this day i think that's still my favorite book yesterday's lies but i sent you know i sent it out to people in the industry who would review your book not for money you weren't paying them but they just they're avid read avid readers and they love to read books and they would review your book and i remember one of them you know contacted me directly and she was like i love the storyline it's a great plot but the editing was horrible. That was hard feedback for me to get, but it really resonated with me because when I tell you I will not produce another book that has the editing, like I, I wrote it, I sent it to someone who called themselves an editor and I felt, okay, they did their job. They absolutely did not. And I didn't do my due diligence and check everything before I put it out there. So and how would you that know that's part of uh, gaining the knowledge? So let me step yes. you back and say, what hard lessons have you gained as being a, a, a an author, but a female author? I would say um, the whole editing thing for sure. And okay. not just grammar stuff like the the content edit is so, so, so important. And because of that, I now, when I write a book, I have one of my books here, I always do character cards. And this gives me the person's name and all of the background information that I need about them, where they grew up, where they went to school, how old they are, their names of their parents, the name of their kids, whatever I'm going to include in the book. Because I had 
so many different things going on in that first book, because when you're writing the first chapter, by the time you get to chapter 20, you may forget something that you said, you know, before. And unless you sit down and read it from front to back in one session, you might not remember what you said over here and all that kind of stuff. So for me, you put it in, that would be the other thing. Exactly. Exactly. So I keep character cards now. So that was a, a definite lesson that I learned. Um, it is very cutthroat. Every author you meet is not your friend. Um, I actually had someone that I thought was a friend uh, steal an idea. Okay. Um, from me and run with it. And I was like, wow. She really did that. So, you know, you just kind of learn along the way that you've got to protect yourself. Um, like I said, everyone is not your friend. And as far as um, the difference between male authors and female authors, I just think that here's one criticism that I um, I lived through. Okay. My first book, there are four main characters, two women and two men. And I got a lot of flack from um, some male authors that how could I write from a male perspective? And, and so I was like, well, do you have any females in your book? Well, yeah. Well, how are you writing from a female perspective? Right. I mean, it's the same thing, right? Same principle. <laughs> so. so tell me a little bit about how it is with working with building your characters and being a, a female writer? So I have to think about, is this realistic? You know, um, the situations that I'm putting my characters in, is it realistic? Will people be able to relate to my characters, um, both the, the males and the females? You know, it's easy to, especially when you write in fiction, you know, you can make up whatever you want to make up, right? But to keep the reader with you, it kind of needs to make sense um, for them. And that's definitely true, you know, when I am getting into those situations where I'm writing a, a very dramatic scene, um, you know, with, there's one scene I remember in particular in my book, Today's Truth, that was the second in the three-part series. There was this real dramatic scene where, you know, there were four or five people in the room and, what I did, and I don't know, I've, I've kind of gotten some positive feedback and some negative feedback on how I did it. So I created the scene, but then it was so important to me that every person's perspective was covered. I kind of gave you each person's perspective. I'm a um, fan of so that style. That's the same thing that I write. <laughs> I, I just, you know, doing it any other way just doesn't make sense to me unless you're only writing from one person's perspective. So you know, the same scene, you know, replayed from all the different angles of the people that were in the room was very important, you know, so it ended up being a long scene, but by the end of it, you knew everybody's perspective as it was happening. And that I have gotten some very, very positive feedback, but it was so realistic. You know, it was it, each person, the way I portrayed their reactions and the things that they said and the things that they did, I could see that really happening. You know, I could see how that person felt that way, or I could see how that person felt that way. So that, you know, taking the time to really think about 
again, not just where you want the story to go, not not, you know, you start here and you know you're going to end up here, but all the little things in between and what gets you there realistically. And again, believe it has to be believable to me. Uh, I guess there's some people, you know, if you're writing fantasy or whatever, it doesn't necessarily have to be believable, but I'm not writing that genre. So for my genre, you know, I'm dealing with, you know, more drama, relationship stuff, things like that. It, it needs to be something that people can relate to. So just so the audience knows, what genres do you write in and then what genres do you produce? Okay, so my novels are pretty much, you know, contemporary women's fiction um, I did do one memoir, um, and I have a line of self-care journals um, that I also, uh, over the last year, I've been doing. As far as what I publish thus far, I've done um, poetry anthologies. I've done, um, well, poetry anthology, and then I've done several individual poets, their work. I also have done um, fiction, and I'm trying to, what's the other one? I'm just, oh, um, it's not really, I did a, a curriculum, but it's it's not really published. I mean, it's someone had wrote a curriculum and they wanted to have like workbooks, they do workshops and things like that. And they wanted to have the workbooks available. So I did that for them. It is on, you know, online, people can buy it, but it's really for them to have the materials available for their, the workshops when they do them. And she did publish it. She just won't take credit for it, which is normal for her, <laughs> but I just wanted to make sure that that was out there. <laughs> okay. We are getting close to the end. So okay. I just want to, Shift it just a little bit. And with all your experience within this, the two arenas, what do you mm -hmm. think we're missing in relationship to women and justice? But before we go there, I have to ask you the question of how do you define justice for you? Hmm. Well, I definitely don't define it by the quote unquote justice system. Okay. I don't. That makes because sense. if that is what I put my faith in 100%, I would probably be very disappointed in my life. So I think for me, justice is what can, it's kind of like my bottom line. What can I live with? You know, what is it going to take for me to be okay with the situation? And, and I should, I should put the caveat that it's not that I don't believe in the justice system. I mean, I, I, I vote, I do all the things that go with our justice system, but I'm just saying that there are times when it doesn't seem like justice was served. And if that happened to me, I would have to know that I need to do what I feel is going to bring me some semblance of peace at the end of the day. Um, and that I'm not a vigilante. I'm not going to go out and take justice into my own hands or anything. But sometimes you just have to say, you know what? Things will work out. Things are going to work out somehow in the end. Um, but as long as I feel at peace with the situation, I, I'm okay with that. So that leads me into flipping it back to you and saying, what's what are we missing, do you think, as we're looking at women and justice and our existence and our status within this arena? We're missing numbers for missing there, you know, 
if if I can, I well, want to mention that I do work for the Attorney General's office here in Pennsylvania, and I'm in information technology. But I will tell you that I'm also on the um, the DLBC, the Diversity Leadership Belonging Committee, and one of our challenges is getting women and minorities into positions. Um, you know, agents, attorneys, they just aren't enough. Um, that So then the second question is, why aren't there enough? You know, we we do recruiting, you know, we go to job fairs, we visit colleges. We're, we're not sure what the issue is as to why we're not getting um, the candidates applying for our jobs that, that we would like to see. But I think there's just not enough. And then it goes back to what we talked about earlier is, you know, I want to use an example um, of someone that I work with. I don't, I don't want to name names or say their role, but they are in a leadership role. They are the only female in, people are going to know who I'm talking about, in information technology sure. am, amongst a whole bunch of men. She does not get the, she's at the table as people always talk about being at the table, but she does not get the time. She doesn't get the attention and she doesn't get the results that everyone else gets at the table. It's it, it is so evident to me of what the issue is just because, like I said, Hmm, what's the issue here? You know, only female, um, smallest department, you know, there's all these little sub departments within information technology, the smallest one in staff, but absolutely the most responsibility. Why is that? Right. And I think that brings up whether we're talking about this or any other organization, just this whole issue of making sure that the structure is there to support people. Um, Absolutely. I want to give kudos to your organization for, and I know you're a big advocate, um, for just providing opportunities. But I hear you on the aspect of just making sure that we're um, putting more resources in that space. Mm. Yes. Um, So it sounds like the key to me for you is saying, hey, we need to make sure we're really putting resources in that space. And there's more people at the table, um, whether we're looking there or anywhere across the country, Mm -hmm. really. Yes. Um, You know, we just we need we're underrepresented. Absolutely. Women in in justice are underrepresented. And again, if we are there, do we really have the um, ability to affect the change that we would like to see? Um, And with that, we know we need resources. We need people that are willing to hear us and collaborate with us because it's not like the woman has to carry it all on her back. We just want to be a part of the solution. We want to help bring those things, you know, uh, to a resolution. And so we need people that are willing to be collaborative uh, with us and have similar vision. Yes. And part of the conversation, because even I know for you, and I know you, I don't want you to name the organization, you were the first um, yes. woman of color in certain positions. Mm-hmm. So again, yes. that goes to me of, being within that structure um, and mm-hmm. having the resources to support. Um, it's always scary to me when we're in 2023 and we're saying this person is the first. Um, exactly. It, it is, it is really, really, 
<clears throat> excuse me, scary to think about, you know, on the one hand, how far have we come? But on the other hand, we really haven't yes. come that far. Yes. If we're still saying these things, yes. um, that that's always amazing to me when I hear, like you said, in 2023, oh, so-and-so is the first, the first, really? Why? Yes. <laughs> Why did it take this long? <laughs> Why did it take this long? And then where does the conversation go beyond this point to ensure right that that person is not the first. So many speakers that I've been talking to on the sessions have said they were the first or um, they're mm -hmm. kind of breezing the path. And I think you are being with your publishing. Um, so mm -hmm. many people are surprised you're in the Harrisburg area, um, yes. but that you're a woman. I'm like, yeah, there's, <laughs> <laughs> she's out there. Okay, so tell them where they can contact you. Uh, can you give me a, a site where we can go so they can hear sure. that? Sure. So my publishing website is uh, www.tdubpublishing.com. Um, also, my um, author website is www.authorterry, T-E-R-R-I-D for Denise, authorterryd.com. Thank you. So can reach you. me. Go Thank ahead. You. No, you go ahead. I just want to make sure I didn't <laughs> cut off the... Was it dot com? <laughs> dot com. Okay. Um, and then, you know, same for email, you know, author Terry D at gmail.com and then TW publishing at gmail.com. So, okay. I think we easy. have everything. All right. Thank okay. you so much for coming. I appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate your time. Me. All right. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. Today, we talked to Terry. To get insights on publishing and being an author. One of the things that I think is fabulous is her commitment to helping and opening the conversation to sustaining a structure. Remember, it's important to gain this knowledge, but it's more important to me to make sure that you tell someone about it. Have a great day.